Good morning. Good morning. It is so good to see you. Anytime I'm in here on Sunday morning with you guys, I have so much fun. I love being in here with you guys. I want to welcome you to Fellowship Greenville this morning. If you're a visitor, if it's your first time or first time in a while after the holiday season or whatever, welcome to Fellowship Greenville. My name is Matt Dinsky. I'm the student ministry pastor here. And uh, it's just a joy to be with you guys this morning. I want you to know that you are loved here and you have a place to belong here. And, and man, we're just so thankful to get to worship with you this morning. Usually our approach to these scriptures is to go one book at a time, verse by verse through each book of the Bible. And this morning we're gonna continue that same pattern. We've been in the Gospel of John for the past few weeks. We're gonna continue in John chapter six this morning. So you can already kind of dog ear or, or bookmark your Bible, John 6, because that's where we're going to be. Uh, but first, I, I, I want to share just a little bit. I, I've come to a revelation. I've come to a conclusion in life, and maybe some of you might agree with me. I might even get an amen or two on this one. Uh, I've come to the conclusion that food plays a pretty vital part of our lives. Would you uh, amen on that? No? Okay. <laughs> yeah, for some of us... Uh, more than others, my wife is, is, one of, is one of those more. Now, I asked her permission, okay, before you're like, oh, don't talk about your wife. I asked her permission. She's probably watching right now. What's up, boo? I love you. Trent, I love you, buddy. Uh, my boys are at home sick, so they're probably watching the live version right now. But my wife is, uh, is triggered by lack of food. Can anyone relate to this? Uh, she turns into someone different when she doesn't eat. Anyone relate to this? One of our first dates we ever had, we're in the truck together, and I could sense something was wrong. Didn't know what, but I was like, man, she's just acting a little different today. Don't ever tell a woman that, but I could sense it, like she was different. And I was like, are, are, are you okay? And she's like, yes. I was like, oh, man, what have I done? My wife is, uh, she gets what they call hangry, when you're hungry, you turn angry, hangry. So she's like totally different person, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I've learned that if she does not have food, it is a dangerous person to be around. I've feared for my life at times. Our boys have inherited this from their mom. If they go without food, it's just full on meltdown. Like just crazy, like what is going on? And you just hand them some snacks and they're like, oh, we love you, daddy. <laughs> I love you too, right? Like it's terrifying, okay? My wife needs food. Otherwise, she just turns into this completely different person. Food plays a pretty vital part in our lives. I love food. I don't transform into a savage when I don't have any, uh, but I love food. And my favorite food that I love is breakfast food. Can I get an amen on that? I love breakfast food. I could have breakfast any time of the day, every day. I love breakfast food. My team gives me a hard time because anytime I have a, a meeting, anytime someone wants to eat lunch with me, and they're like, hey, where, where do you want to go? I'm like, oh, eggs up grill. Let's get some breakfast. I just love breakfast food. And my favorite, uh, one of my favorite breakfast foods is pancakes. No amens on that one. Okay, I was going to let the crowd guide itself there. He left me hanging. That's okay. Uh, but I have here a pancake this morning. Check this guy out. Hold on, let me. I'm a little scared to like, I don't want it to fall off. There we go. Pancake this morning. This guy's 10 inches around, 10 inches diameter here. This is a pretty good pancake. Pancakes are one of my favorite uh, foods. I thought about cooking this live on stage. Wouldn't that have been cool? But then I was like, I don't know, man. Like a live cooking and, you know, fire going out into the audience. <laughs> like I was a little nervous about that. I was thinking of you guys. I really was. My front row of people here. 
So instead, I just, I just brought it uh, pre-cooked. My wife, my sweetheart, made this for me. She got up early and made this for me this morning just so I could have it as a prop. Isn't she the best when she has food? Um, <laughs> I love pancakes, man. I love pancakes. I'm going I'm to try it because I know what you guys are thinking. Like, oh, is he going to flip this thing? Is he going to go for it? Should I go for it? Should I try it? All right. Look, this is cast iron. If it, fall, if it flies out, I'm going to aim for the empty chair, but I can't guarantee. I, can't, I can guarantee nothing, okay? Here we go. You guys ready? All right, drum roll, please. Help a brother out here. That's a pretty, that's a pretty quiet drum roll. Can I get a drum roll? All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Oh, I was a little nervous. I was a little nervous. Pancakes are my favorite, uh, one of my favorites, and I have this problem. Anytime I go to a restaurant, Anytime I go to a restaurant, I'll look at the menu and I'm like, ooh, pancakes. And so I'll get really, really ambitious. I don't know if anyone can relate, but I'm like, all right, I want three pancakes plus some bacon, some scrambled eggs, grits, maybe an egg over easy in there, some cheese on top. Woo, now we're going, right? Like I get really ambitious. And then I'll get like one pancake in and I'm like, whoa, I am so, st- I don't know what I'm going to do about this other stuff. I'm so full. Anyone? Am I the only, I'm a sucker for the pancake trap every time? No? They're so filling. You get through one and you're like, well, I don't know, I gotta loosen my belt now, right? Every time. And you would think I'd learn my lesson, but the next time I go to a restaurant, I'm like, hmm, you know what sounds pretty good? Pancakes. I bet I could eat about a half a dozen pancakes right now. I get through one, I'm like, whoo, what was I thinking? Every time I fill up on the fluff and I never get around to the wholesome stuff. I never get around to my eggs, my bacon. I never, I'm so full because I've decided to eat pancakes. And as good as they are, and they are good, they're not good for you. Like, they're good for your soul, right? Like, they make you happy, but they're not good for your body. <laughs> and I fill up on the fluff every time. In fact, the biggest pancake I've ever attempted to eat, I have a picture up here. It was at this hole-in-the-wall restaurant in East Tennessee. This is the biggest pancake. It was a single pancake on the menu. I'm reading the menu, I'm like, one pan? Sure, yeah. And they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's a behemoth. And I was like, okay. So I ordered it. If you guys remember, this pancake, 10 inches from thumb to pinky. To give you perspective, this pancake is probably about five of these. Five of these. And I thought, I was like, all right, I'm going to get after this thing. I started eating it, and I'm like, okay. (laughs) I was deceived again. (laughs) And I thought I could at least clear like a 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock, you know, like 25. Surely I can get a quarter of this thing. Nope. I don't know. I think I just, it looked so pitiful. I was so embarrassed. I was humiliated. I had to ask for a to-go box for my one pancake. They brought out an extra large pizza box. I did like the shame walk out of that. I was like, yes, I'm sorry, I couldn't finish it. My brother was there, he gave me a really hard time. Every time, I'm a sucker for the pancake. I get filled up on it super quick and then I never get around to the stuff that would actually be good for me or actually like give me some nutrients. And I started thinking about this uh, this past week and I started asking myself, man, do we do this in our spirituality? Do we do this with Jesus? Do we do this in our lives? Like we have all these options at the buffet table of life and we get really ambitious and we're like, yeah, I want this, I want this, I want this, and yeah, I want Jesus too. Like he's, that's the best thing, but I also really like this stuff. And then we start to consume these things and before we know it, we have filled ourselves up on the fluff of life and have no room left to actually take in any of Jesus and what he has to offer for our soul. I was convicted by this because I realized how often I do this. 
And it's not necessarily bad things or wrong things. There can be a lot of good things that we decide to consume for our soul, but too much of a good thing, and all of a sudden I'm filled up on the pancake of my soul, and I have no room left for the nutritional things, the the good things, the Jesus things. I'm too full from all the fluff. Do we do this in our spirituality? Do we do this with Jesus? And if it's true that we do, then what do we do about it? Like, what would Jesus have to say about what we consume for our soul? Well, in John chapter 6, Jesus is talking about this very idea. And so I want to go there this morning. The context of where we're at, Jesus has just performed one of his most well-known miracles. If you've been rolling with Jesus 30 years, if you've been rolling with him 30 minutes, you probably know about this miracle. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. And in that culture, they head-counted men only. And so assuming that there were women and children there, this is more like the feeding of 10 to even 12,000 easily. I mean, this is just a multitude of people. And Jesus feeds them by multiplying a little boy's lunch and replicating it over and over and over to feed this gigantic crowd of people. And he fills their bellies. And so the next morning they wake up, they're ready for breakfast, and they don't find Jesus. He's gone. And that's where we're going to pick up our passage this morning. So John chapter 6, verse 22. That's where we're going to be today. And I just want to give you the heads up and disclaimer. I am covering a lot of ground this morning. We are going from verse 22 all the way to verse 59. That is a lot to get through in the time allotted. And so there are going to be certain parts of this. We'll, we'll pause, we'll camp out, and we'll, we'll kind of marinate in it. And then other parts of this passage, we just kind of, we got to go through pretty quickly. Uh, and then, you know, you can study it on your own later or something. But in terms of this morning, just hang with me because some parts are going to go a little slow. Some parts are going to go quickly. But we got to get through this entire thing. John 6, verse 22. The next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered that boat with his disciples. If you recall from last week, uh, Pastor Charlie was teaching, fantastic message. Go watch it if you haven't. It's so good that builds the context for this. But um, Jesus feeds the multitude and then his disciples get into the boat and cross the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus doesn't. He stays with the crowds. So when they wake up and they don't see Jesus, they're like, no, where is he? He didn't get in the boat with his disciples. We, where, where is he gone? So he didn't get in the boat with his disciples. They went away alone. Verse 23, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten and the, eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So they wake up, they're hungry. They're like, hey man, this guy gave us dinner. He's probably going to give us breakfast. And they start to look around, and they're like, man, he ain't here. Well, he didn't get in the boat with his disciples, but they went that way. Maybe we should go that way and see if somehow he got there. So that's their logic. They go to Capernaum, verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, teacher, when did you get here? When did you come here? We've been looking for you. How did you get here? When did that happen? Jesus answers them. Truly, truly, I say to you, you're not seeking me because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Now let's pause for a second. This is a strange greeting. This is an, an unusual greeting by Jesus here. 
And I wanna encourage us to approach the scriptures this morning with fresh eyes and fresh ears. Oftentimes, the familiarity of stories can kind of lessen the impact of them. We're, we're so used to hearing them, we kind of forget the, the emphasis or the punch that they bring. So let's approach this passage as if we've never heard it before. The crowds are hungry. Jesus has given them dinner. He performed this incredible miracle. He gave them dinner. They wake up for breakfast. He's not there. They seek him out. They find him in Capernaum, and they're like, hey, would you get it? We were looking for you over there. When did you get here? And he's like, you're not here for me. You're not here because you saw me do a sign. You're here because you're hungry. You shouldn't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. That's an unusual greeting. The day before, less than 24 hours ago, the same crowd was met with compassion and teaching and a miracle. The same crowd. And now they seek Jesus out and he's like, you're here because you're hungry. You're not here because you saw me do a sign. You're here because you want your bellies filled. It's an unusual greeting. They fully expected him to say, oh, guys, you found me. Welcome. Who's ready for some breakfast? We're going to have some flapjacks. I know you guys don't know what those are yet, but we're going to have them. Some bisquick. But he doesn't say that. He challenges their motive for seeking him. They expected breakfast, and Jesus starts to ask them this question. I'm going to paraphrase it, but are you here for me? Are you here for me? And the truth is, they weren't. They weren't there for Jesus. They were there for what Jesus could do for them. They were there for what Jesus could give them. They were there because they were hungry. Jesus is essentially calling out those motives of, you're here not because you want your souls filled. You're here because you want your bellies filled. And let me pause here and say, there is nothing, nothing wrong with seeking Jesus or asking Jesus to provide for your earthly, temporary needs. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, Jesus all over the New Testament is teaching about meeting the physical needs of people. Visiting those who are in prison, bringing water to the thirsty and food to the hungry, visiting the poor, taking care of orphans and widows. He's all about meeting people's physical needs, but the ultimate desire of Jesus is to meet our spiritual needs, and when we stop at only our physical needs, he begins to kind of poke at our hearts for those motives. That's exactly what he's doing with this crowd. They are there not to seek who he is. They are there seeking what he can do for them. It is a one-sided relationship. It is all the benefits I'm just here for the miracle, man. I just want some food, but not necessarily you. Jesus says, are you here for me? He calls that into question. Are we ever guilty of that? Pursuing Jesus, not because of who he is, but because of what we're hoping to get from him. There is a lot, a lot, a lot of terrible theology and teaching that goes on around the world and in this country from pastors standing on stages just like this that teach Jesus is all about 
blessing you and meeting your earthly needs and if you follow him you'll never get sick and you'll have money and he's gonna free you from this and give you that car and he might do those things but that is not the motive to follow him you're elevating gifts above the giver and then Jesus is not your Lord idols are your Lord the crowd is here for the food not for Jesus so the same crowd that was met with compassion teaching miracle the day before is now being met with a question are you here for me now, verse 28, because remember he said you shouldn't be working for food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life. Verse 28, they say, okay, well, then what must we do to be doing the works of God? He says, don't work for food that perishes, work for food that endures to eternal life. And they're like, okay, well, what do we need to be doing to work? What work do we need to be doing? The work of God. Jesus answers them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Now, people, this is one of the most freeing, exciting, encouraging, victorious verses in the entire Bible. I'm going to tell you why. Because we love earning. We love the feeling that we earned this, that somehow we've merited this outcome. This is one of the Achilles heels of religion, this idea that we can do enough, be enough, say enough, accumulate enough, do enough good deeds in this life to somehow store up and shore up our eternal salvation, that we've earned this thing. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is pretty clear. We are incapable of saving ourselves. We cannot earn it. We can't do enough good things, give enough money, be good enough, dress the right ways, act the right ways, come to church enough. It is not an earning gift. It is a receiving gift. Their question that they ask, okay, Jesus, well, what do we need to be doing to be doing the works of God? We like that question because it almost triggers that idea. Ooh, there's boxes to check. There's a task list. That's fantastic. We love earning. What do we need to be doing? Look at what Jesus says. This is the work of God, that you believe in me. <sighs> you can do nothing to earn this. I've done all the work. All you gotta do is believe in me. That is freeing. It frees you from the idea that you have to earn God's love or favor or salvation. Jesus has accomplished it all. And all we have to do is believe in him and receive from him. Salvation, a repaired relationship with God our Father requires nothing more than belief. And grace that Jesus offers requires nothing of you. You cannot earn this. The work of God is to believe in Jesus who's done all the work. Believe in me. That's the work. Now, Jesus is basically saying, he's questioning their motives. Are you here for me? And by these two verses, he's basically saying, because I'm here for you. I'm here for you. All you got to do is believe in me. Are you here for me? Because I'm here for you. Now, get this. This is what the crowd say. This is how they respond. <laughs> this is so amazing. This is what they say. Basically, they, they go... Prove it. Prove it. Are you serious? 
Can you imagine the audacity of this crowd? Yeah, Jesus, you're here for us? Okay, you're worth believing in? Prove it. They actually ask him for a sign. What sign do you give for us to believe in? Are you kidding me? Uh, I don't know. How about 12 hours ago, I took a little boy's lunch and fed 10,000 of you. I just walked on water to get here. Those ain't good enough? Prove it. Why are you worth believing in? I mean, if I were Jesus, I would have taken a baguette and given him a holy smackdown. You know what I mean? All right, you want some food? I got some bread for you. I'm just kidding. Lighten up, okay? Look at what they say to him. Verse 30, they say to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Prove it, Jesus. You're worth believing in? Why? What, what do you got to offer? Can you imagine? Can you imagine having just seen the day before his miracle and then coming at him like this? Prove it. And then I started thinking and I was like, man, maybe, maybe I'm not too far away from that mentality sometimes too. Because here's something I know about myself. I can forget. I can forget. I can forget how good God has been to me and my family. How he brought us through that tough season or that tough time. I can forget his faithfulness. I can forget his blessings. I can forget all the ways that he's worked in my life over the years. I can forget. And then here comes another hard time or another season, and sometimes I find myself there saying, man, God, where are you? Don't you love me? Aren't you, don't you care anymore? It's that same prove it mentality. Man, if you did love me, prove it. If you are here, prove it. I mean, I'm not saying those words, but that's essentially the heart posture. Where are you in this time? And so we find ourselves praying a prayer that goes something like this. God, would you give me a sign? Right? Because all your faithfulness and everything you've done in my life and all the ways you've revealed yourself to me and creation itself and all the ways that I've seen you move and bless and be present, it's not enough. I need more. And so we start praying for signs and we do the strangest things, don't we? Like we'll tuck away into a bedroom. We'll turn all the lights off. And we'll sit there and be like, all right, God, I'm going to close my eyes. And if I open them, and all the lights in the room are on, I mean, your word says you're the light of the world. <laughs> if they're on, then I'll know you're real. Right? Don't pretend like you, don't pretend like you never done something like this. Come on now. And we open our eyes. And let's just say God answered this prayer. Let's just say he did. We open our eyes, and the lights are on. We'll be like, ooh, ooh. But then all of a sudden we go, ah, maybe just one more sign though. Maybe just one more confirmation because you know, power surges happen. That could have been some like Duke energy swell of power. Maybe it just flipped a switch. I don't know. So all right, God, this time I'm gonna close my eyes and if you'll turn the lights off, then I'll know. We'll close our eyes and let's just say the lights go off and we open our eyes, oh. But then what are we gonna do? Well, you know, 
Maybe a tree limb fell on a power line somewhere. Could have knocked the power out at the exact moment I prayed that. Why not? Okay. So then we, okay, God, just one, like one more confirmation. I'm going to close my eyes again. And this time when I open my eyes, if you've turned the light bulb like a different color, if it's like green, then I'll believe in you, right? When our faith is based on miracles, it's no longer based on Jesus. It's based on what we want from Jesus. The amazing thing about Jesus, his ministry stood on two legs, the word of God and the works of God. And any time that he performed any miracle at all, it was always partnered with the word of God. But the word of God did not have to be partnered with the works of God, miracles. They were like, they, they were this supplement to aid people in belief, but they weren't the main thing. The main thing is Jesus and his word. And if that's not enough for us, no miracle and no sign will ever be enough for us. It turns Jesus into a genie granting us wishes, not into a savior redeeming our soul. The crowd's faith is based on signs. All right, what do you got for us then that we could actually believe you? Really? Because I just did that miracle. Yeah, but that, that was good, but it wasn't like great or anything. Can you, can you outdo that a little bit? And look, they even give Jesus a reference point. They say to him, listen, they start quoting the Old Testament narrative where Moses led the Exodus out of Egypt and brought the Hebrews through the wilderness. The Hebrews were hungry, and so they told Moses, hey, we're hungry, we have no food. Moses talked to God, and God made bread rain from heaven. Flaky, sweet bread. Oh, my, if we walked out of this building today and Krispy Kreme started falling from the sky, <laughs> is that not heaven on earth? Okay, so they're like, we're hungry, and God makes bread rain from heaven. The crowds quote that exact miracle to Jesus. They say, hey, what do you do? What sign do you have that we can believe in you? Verse 31, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, bread from heaven. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So what do you got, G? I mean, dude, you multiplied some food. That was amazing, but you actually had to start with that food to multiply it. Moses just, bread came from nowhere. So what do you got like that? That's the sign we'll believe in you for. Jesus says, okay. First of all, this is his response to them. Verse 32, he says, truly, truly, I said to you, it wasn't Moses who made bread rain from heaven. It was my father. So let's get that straight. Moses was an instrument, but he wasn't God. It was my father, and my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they look at him, and they're like, oh, well, if you have that bread, if you somehow know that God is able to do that, if you have bread like that, then give us that bread. Give us that bread always, they say. Verse 34. This is the sign they want. Can you outdo Moses? Can you make bread come down from heaven? If you could do that, then we'd believe in you. And Jesus says, look, the bread in the Old Testament that he gave Moses, it was good, but there's a different bread, and it gives life to the world. It's wonder bread. I mean, it's, it's the best bread. And they're like, oh, well, if there's like some fancy bread on reserve in heaven, make that come down. Give us that bread, and then we'll believe. Faith based on a sign, right? 
always outdoing the one before. Signs are a shortcut to faith. Faith is believing in Jesus when it's hard and when it's easy and understanding that the God of the mountaintop is the same God of the valley. And when we are at our deepest and darkest moments, God is there just as he is when we are at our tallest and highest. That's faith. When we start praying for signs, it shortcuts this entire journey of learning how to trust in God through thick and thin. When we are broken and wanting and going through deepest possible pain imaginable. They want a sign. Jesus says to them, because this is, if you have bread, give us that. Jesus says, I am the bread. I am the bread. Well, what now? I'm the bread. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I'm the bread from heaven. Now remember, sometimes our familiarity with a passage can limit the shock and all nature, the freshness of what's going on here. So you gotta, you gotta approach, approach it with fresh eyes. Think about this context. They want something from Jesus. They want food. He's like, I have food. Uh, there's bread from heaven that gives life to the world. And they're like, well, give us that bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread. Do what now? Because he didn't say, I'm like bread. I'm similar to bread. And I'll explain how. That'd been an interesting simile there. No, he didn't say, I'm like bread. He said, I am the bread. What? You, that doesn't make sense. You're not bread. No, I am. I'm the bread of heaven. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever comes and drinks shall never thirst. What? What? You ever met someone with like a really strange nickname, and they like insist on being called that nickname? It's like, hey, Jimmy, call me Tree Trunk. What? Yeah, I'm like, I'm a tree trunk. Okay, we don't talk to Jimmy anymore, right? Okay, cool. Yeah, like he's weird. Jesus is there. And they're like, what bread do you have to offer? He's like, I am the bread. I am bread. I'm like, uh, no. What? This guy, are you hearing this? Am I the only one? This guy's a man saying he's bread. You guys hear how odd that is, right? Remove yourself, please, from the familiarity. This is odd. It's okay to come to the parts of Scripture and say, God, this is odd. This is weird. This is an odd conversation. I am bread. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I'm the bread of life. This is so odd. Like, think of, Jesus is saying three things in this passage that, that are just like, whoa, what's he, whoa, what, what is he talking about? They're so significant, and he goes through them so quickly. First of all, he calls himself bread. That's strange. I am bread. Secondly, he starts talking about a father. My father has sent me. I'm here to do the will of my father. And people are like, oh, wh when did he, what is he talking about? His father. This didn't come up before. What is his? And then he starts talking about resurrection. Anybody who believes in me, I'm going to raise him up. 
Like, what? You're okay, this dude just called himself bread, started talking about his father who we, does, do you know who that is? Do you, no? Okay. Okay, so you have an invisible father that you only know about, and then you're going to bring us back from the dead. Okay. Okay. Have you ever had a conversation with anyone who's making such claims? This is strange. This is jarring. The crowds don't know what to do with this. They feel that, what is he talking about? So they start to get frustrated. They start to get upset. In fact, because they can trace his earthly ancestry back to Mary and Joseph, and they use that. So they begin to grumble in verse 41. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus? Like, we know this guy. Isn't this the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? What is he talking about? Bread? What? Guys, you, y'all are hearing this, right? Jesus says, don't grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day as it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died, but this is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, has anyone ever done any like public speaking? Spoken in front of people? Okay, one person, thanks for, okay, I got, oh, thanks. You guys can interact with me. Like, I'm a real person. I like to interact. Public speakers know this is a craft. Like, there, there are certain skill sets in it. When you're trying to use a story or a joke or an analogy, metaphor, example, illustration, something like that, and the room simply isn't getting it, public speaking 101 would say, yeah, you abandon ship and then you try something else, right? Like when you, when you got this thing, you're like, oh, this is going to land, this is going to hit so hard, and then you start to vibe with the room and it's just like, like right over, pretty much like every sermon I preach, right? And... So most public speakers say, I've got to adjust course. I've got to somehow like either land that plane or forget that. But not Jesus. He's over here talking about he's bread, he's got a father, he's going to raise you from the dead. And people are like, what? Who? You're from Mary and Joe. He doesn't throttle back. He puts the pedal down and he starts pushing this thing forward. They're alarmed at what he's saying, but he's about to offend them. But he tries to help them understand. So I, he tries to summarize this whole Old Testament manna from heaven thing that they're talking about. So I have this slide up here. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what the crowds are saying. They're saying, look, in the Old Testament, heaven gave us bread to meet our, our physical hunger. We were hungry, and bread came from heaven so that we could eat. And Jesus is saying, yes, that's true, but even that bread still led to a physical death. Now... Bread has come from heaven again, not for a physical hunger, but for a spiritual hunger, and anyone who eats this bread will live forever. You did eat bread from heaven, manna in the wilderness. Your fathers ate it, and still they died. There's a new bread from heaven, and anyone that eats this bread will never die. 
That's what Jesus is saying. That's the whole summary of this Old Testament thing they keep getting into with him. And now he pushes the analogy further. Verse 51, he says, I am that living bread from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And this is where it gets really weird. If it's not already confusing, it's about to get weird. He says, and the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. All right, time out. We were confused, if not annoyed, with this whole, you're bread and, and we eat you and you're from heaven, even though we know you're from Nazareth. That was kind of strange. But now we're offended. Because Jesus is saying, the bread that I have to offer is my flesh. Eat me. You guys feel the, that weirdness, right? Pastor Charlie ever gets up here on a Sunday morning, he's got, and he says, all right, guys, I got a new word for you today. And the word is life. But in order to have this word, you must eat my flesh. You would leave. I would hope you would leave. I would escort you out. I would leave. And do, 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 put out my resume like, that's weird. Jesus is saying, eat my flesh. A Jew, by law, is not allowed to have meat with blood in it. That was, that was a violation of the law. And here's Jesus inviting them to eat him, his flesh. Cannibalize me. I'm the life. I'm the bread. That is strange. That is bizarre. That is offensive. What is he talking about? Jesus knows he's creating so much tension with the cultural implications and religious implications of what he's saying. He's intentionally creating this decisive moment for the crowds who are seeking him for all the wrong reasons. You're really hungry? You really want me to fill you? Then eat me. This is me. I'm the bread. Eat my flesh. Verse 52, the Jews disputed amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, I can see you're confused. Let me say it this way. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Dude, what? What? Oftentimes, we interpret this passage based on knowledge we have now. Oh, Jesus is foreshadowing the cross. Oh, this is not literal. Oh, it's all a metaphor. Oh, this is foreshadowing the Lord's Supper, where we commemorate him by taking the elements which were figuratively represented by his broken body and spilled blood. Oh, they didn't have that context. Not at all. They're hearing this for the first time as if this man is saying, eat my body and drink my blood. That is a strange teaching. That is a hard teaching. And I wish I could kind of dip into next week's sermon and just kind of go into how they responded to this, but I won't. I won't steal that thunder, but it's John 6, verse 66 is one of the saddest verses to me in all of the Bible. Jesus says, this is my flesh. Drink my blood. That's life. Whoever feeds his language, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Yeah, 
I mean, you know, the crowds are thinking, yeah, you would abide in us. You would be inside of us. We would have digested you. This is weird. Verse 57, as the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. The manna in, in the Old Testament, not like them. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. This is a Sunday morning sermon. <laughs> Hard one. And this is essentially what Jesus is saying. I'm gonna sum it up in two words. Consume me. Consume me. Take me in. Internalize me. Chew on me for a while. Let me in. But all of me, my flesh and my blood, consume me. Remember how the passage began. Are you here for me, really? Are you here for me? Or are you here for what I can do for you? I'm here for you. Oh, you want me to prove it? You want a sign? God has given you a sign. There's new bread from heaven. Give us that bread. It's me. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. What are you talking about? Eat my flesh and drink my blood and you will have eternal life. Take me in and you will live forever. This is the bread that God has sent. That's his message. Consume me. You see, Jesus in this passage is teaching that he is the best possible thing for our souls to be filled. But what do the crowds want? Do they want Jesus? No. They want, they want physical bread. They want their bellies filled, but not their souls. And Jesus is kind of calling out that mentality. Why would you settle for the fluff of life to fill your soul when I'm offering so much more than that? Why would you settle for pancakes for your soul when I could actually give you a permanent presence abiding in you? We are settling for the mediocrity of scraps for our soul, and Jesus is offering something permanent, his presence, his abiding presence in our lives, and he's inviting us, don't worry about the fluff, consume me, eat me, take me in. Man, I will fill you. I will give you life. I will give you eternal life. I will raise you up on the last day. I will be with you forever, and you will be with me forever. Let me nourish your soul. Don't settle for this when there's so much more on the menu of life. What are we trying to fill our souls with? Even good things can be the wrong things. What are we filling our souls with? Is it Jesus? Or is it scraps? Are we settling for pancakes when we could be having the main meal? Are we trying to fill our souls with with status and position through our jobs, through our work ethic, through, through our, the way people perceive us and view us. We just want people to look at us and be like, wow, look at that person. We're trying to fill our souls like that, acquiring all sorts of material goods to try to fill these holes in our hearts. Are we doing it through relationships, trying to find intimacy and camaraderie and companionship through people? 
Are we doing it through our families, through our kids? I love my kids more than anything, but they're not the center of my world. See, sometimes even good things can be the wrong things if we put too much emphasis on them. Jesus is asking this simple question, why are you here? Are you here for me or what I can do for you? Do you want me to fill your soul or do you hope I fill your belly? I have something deeper than bread to offer. I have life. But in order to have this life, you got to consume the bread of heaven, and that's me. Jesus has created a decisive fork in the road for this crowd, and I think for us as well. Jesus is at the peak of his earthly ministry, the peak of his popularity. He's got 10, 12,000 following him. The government was super nervous about this Messiah figure who's got this following. They were so worried he's going to create this rebellion and overthrow, and Jesus wasn't, that's not his agenda. He wasn't about the numbers. He wasn't about these, like, oh, look how many people. He creates this decisive moment because he wants them to choose just like he wants us to choose Why are you here? Will you consume me? And here's what he's saying. It's either all of me or none of me. But I will not be the pony trick God who does a few miracles for you and performs a few signs for you when you need them. That's called a vending machine, and I'm not a vending machine. You can't punch in a little bit of faith and hit D6, and then out comes a miracle. It's just not who I am. But I will offer you life and a permanent one and an abiding one And you will live forever with me, but you have to consume all of me. He's inviting us off of the fence. Don't straddle the fence. Don't go at it half and half. To approach Jesus that way, we're seeking all of the benefits and giving none of the sacrifices. We just want what he can give us, and we're giving nothing in return. Jesus is saying, I'll give you life, but it's all of me, will you take me in, all of me, and let me fill your soul and stop settling for scraps. That's the word of God, that's the message Jesus gave, and it is a hard one, and it has been wrecking me all week. We're about to enter into a time of response to this passage, and I really could think of very very few passages as appropriate as this one to enter into a time of communion. But we're about to pass out the bread and the cup, and we're about to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, that his body was broken for us and his blood spilled for us. And as we take these elements, I I hope and I pray that our hearts would be postured towards God in a way that says, these aren't just elements. This is a representation of what Jesus did, and I want to internalize that. I want him to change me from the inside out. Let me pray. Father, we love you. And we pray over this time. We pray that, um, God, that our hearts would be yours, that we would consume Jesus, that we would internalize Jesus, that we would make him everything our life is about, that he would get to decide how we spend our time and our money and, and, and what we do and where we go. God, we thank you for the life that we have in Jesus. I believe it's the best life possible. As we pass out these elements, I pray that you would bless them and bless this time. And Jesus, please pull our hearts towards you. We need you. As we sung a minute ago, every hour I need you. 
Your teaching is hard sometimes, but we need that. We need our hearts to be poked and pricked and prodded. Let us never grow comfortable in our faith, but continuously seek you out, the filler of our souls. Jesus, we love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.